All right. The shopkeep looks at you intently and pockets the ring. It doesn't look like he's willing to sell to you. What do you want to do? Okay. I'll have Boopsy secretly crawl up the shopkeep's leg and into his pocket to... Wait, wait. What's a Boopsy? No, no, no. Not a what, a who. You you don't remember when I got Boopsy the hamster in our second session? That was... What was it? That, that was two years ago. And this is the first time I've even heard about Boopsy since then. Where has he been? First off, Boopsy is a she, and I've been carrying her around in my pocket the whole time. You're telling me that you have had a hamster in your pocket for two years? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. I, I keep sunflower seeds in there so that, you know, she doesn't go hungry and stuff. Wait a second. Didn't your party have to revive you from falling into a pit of lava? Boopsy is very resilient. In this episode of Becoming DM, we're talking about working with familiars, animal companions, and pets in your campaign. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And before we begin, let's really kind of jump very quickly into understanding what we mean when we're talking about familiars versus animal companions and versus pets, because they are different things. So it helps to understand how they're different and why they're different and how they operate differently before you really get into this discussion. So um, as a jumping off point, uh, Danielle, why don't you get us kicked off with uh, with kind of giving us a, a high level overview. What are familiars when we, when we say familiars? Familiars are, uh, they're more of your like spell casting kind of, I don't want to say pets because we're trying to differentiate right now, (laughs) 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 but they're a summoned creature that, that will aid in your spell casting. So they're usually used by spell casters. Yep. And, and as we talk through this episode, we're, we're going to try and make some distinctions between 5e and Pathfinder 1st Edition, just because that's the games that I feel like we're most comfortable with. Uh, but bear in mind, if you play other editions or, or other versions, there are probably um, slightly different rules regarding them. Um, so when we talk about a familiar, that's typically in 5e going to be, they're going to be used that using that find familiar spell to, to bring forth this familiar um, to come and help them. Or if you're in Pathfinder first edition, or you're a pact of the chain warlock, um, you'll have a specialized ritual uh, to, to, to perform to do it. Um, in Pathfinder, there is a cost of components to perform that ritual, as well as obvi- the obvious time, since it's a ritual as opposed to a spell. So just something to keep in mind as your players are like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bring forth a familiar. I'll bring forth a familiar. Um, if they are playing Pathfinder First Edition, or if they are a Pact of the Chain Warlock, where they're going to bring forth that imp or whatever it is, it takes a little longer than just saying, hey, come forth, my my weird little friend. Yeah, that way they're not just firing their familiar into the fray and it's like just using it as like body count <laughs> yes and uh, while they do take the shape of a beast it's actually considered a celestial or a fey creature in 5e yep and with with pathfinder um it's not quite that uh it, it's basically a normal beast that becomes a magical beast for the purposes of of the things that it does so um 
slight little twist between the two, but uh, but still important to note that are there in and in neither system are they just plain beasts. Yeah, it's not just a critter that's super awesome. Uh, (laughs) the options for the type of creature that you get for a familiar um, also depends on you know the version of game that you're playing and uh, or like between D&D 5e or 3.5 and Pathfinder uh, like we said before it's it all the rules all vary slightly Mm -hmm. yeah and and it's um it's important to understand that because when you're talking about the find familiar spell, that familiar that you summon uh, really can't attack, uh, but it can perform other options that could potentially help you out in combat, but it doesn't have the ability to to attack things. Now, if you're talking about Pathfinder or you're talking about the Warlock's familiar, um, they do have the ability to attack. They do have attack scores and stuff like that. So um, again, kind of that key uh, differentiation. So um, the... The the one exception I'll say uh, for your regular find familiar is if you are a spellcaster and you have a, a a touch range spell, your familiar can perform that touch and you can basically cast the spell through them. So it's sort of like an attack, but not really. You're still having to use your spells to make that uh, that attack. Mm-hmm. The uh, I had a player once who had a familiar in three point five, and uh, we found in the rules that crow a crow can talk to you in Mm. 3.5 which was it just made it the best familiar ever it's like why would i want a honey badger when i can just (laughs) talk to this buddy i don't know if it's the same in 5e i haven't i haven't looked it up it just it just kind of came back to me here but um it is important for your players to kind of go through their familiar options and and really it's important for them and you unfortunately uh it'd be nice if all players knew everything about their character <laughs> coming in. Uh, but if you guys look it up and find out exactly what those rules are, you can find some pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, and there's a within the Find Familiar spell, there's a list of what you can summon through that. Now, bear in mind, it's just a Fae or Celestial that's taking the form of that thing, but still, um, they, they'll still have some unique uh, differences between those two. In Pathfinder, there's a gigantic list of the things that you can summon as you're familiar, and they have uh, stat blocks and variety of things, again, because they do participate in combat. And then for the Warlock, they have, um, within the Pact of the Chain um, description, I believe they have a listing of the additional types of familiars that you can summon. So you could still summon a cat uh, if you wanted to, or you could summon a nymph, uh, I imagine most most uh, players, if they're playing that that kind of warlock, probably still want to want to go with the imp or the other things that that uh, that they get with that that pact. Hmm. Always lots of options to look through. So, what about um, what happens if we if 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 we the DM um, through our through our enemies that we have at our uh, throwing at our 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 party? What happens if that that familiar dies? Well, like we were saying before, it takes it takes the spell um, or a ritual or something like that to get them back. I think you mentioned that uh, in Pathfinder, it takes money also to bring them back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're like I think it's like two hundred gold worth of component Ooh. stuff, so it's not cheap. No, that that definitely makes you want to be a little bit extra careful with your familiar, <laughs> but it's going to cost you two hundred dollars every time that it 
you know, takes it. And, and like, I'm not sure about Pathfinder, but uh, in D&D, the familiars that I've had, they haven't exactly been sturdy creatures. So right. <laughs> they die pretty easily. <laughs> Yeah, they're really not designed to be the tank for your for your party by by any means. <laughs> um, you can definitely use them in unique and interesting ways, and I think that's that's why they're part of the game rather than just something that will die as soon as somebody looks at it the wrong way potentially. <laughs> but um, but uh, there are ways that the players can can use those them in interesting ways, uh, whether it's. Um, Obviously, not necessarily the hamster that's pickpocketing the <laughs> the shopkeep, but like you could have them retrieve stuff from, from potentially from the battlefield, or 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 retrieve stuff to keep you from getting out of battle, stuff like that. So there's a, there's a lot of neat little things you can do. Just be aware they're not going to be the tank of your group by any means. No, <laughs> definitely not. On the other hand, though, animal companions, uh, depending on what you have for them they could mm-hmm. they could end up being a little bit tanky not to mention an animal companion is uh, is an actual animal um that's been trained uh after you gain access to it by the class feature but that also does mean that you can buy equipment for them like armor yep. and stuff like that and kind of beef them up a little bit make them a little maybe, bit more durable maybe some little hats um, um <laughs> give them a little party hat so that people know that they're ready to party <laughs> 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 Sorry, you said buy them equipment, so I just, I for some reason just went that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's you know it's important for PCs to have different outfits. Why not? Uh, why not dress up your animal companion? You know. Yep. Yeah. So those classes that are um, that are getting, I'm sure that I'm going to miss one here. Uh, but the in Five E, the Beastmaster Ranger does in Pathfinder. Um, the ranger with uh, the hunter's bond. Uh, once they get hunter's bond, they can choose to get a familiar or a, an animal companion, and um, and the druid also has that capability as well uh, in Pathfinder. I don't believe they have that in Five E though, which was they interesting. don't. It was actually one of my biggest disappointments with Five E when it got released is that uh, the druid no longer gets an animal companion. Yeah, that seems like something that would make sense, but I also understand that the druids are are pretty powerful already with their wild shaped stuff. Yeah, Uh-oh, they definitely so. chose not to do it for balancing, but as far yeah. as flavor, I definitely think that druids fit better or like fit nicely with animal companions. Yep. But I mean, as long as you put a lot of points into animal handling and stuff like that, you can still make friends, right? <laughs> well, we'll talk a little bit about that later. <laughs> My animal friends. Um, yeah. And and uh for both for for um I sh- I shouldn't say for both because I'm going to say for this and then I'm going to also contrast it. Um for the animal companion, the animal uh will obey the com- commands of the I, I, for lack of a better term, the companion of the animal, the master of the animal, whatever you want to call it, and it can attack in combat. Now, depending upon what you ask it to do and how complex, uh, I would, I would, as a DM, probably require a role of an animal handling uh, skill or, or even um, something else. Just to, if again, if it's a complex command, you've got this, this wolf that has an intelligence that's fairly low and does not understand full sentences so it's going to partially depend upon what you've trained them how to how to do right Mm -hmm. and they're also like you can't just say you wolf run into that lava waterfall 
right? right. They're they're not just going to be like, yes, sir, and just <laughs> bounce off into the fiery water. <laughs> you say um, lava, I say I love lava. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they still they still have a sense of survival and stuff. Um, so they're not just going to blindly obey just because they're an animal companion. Think of it like having a friend who has your best interest in mind. Uh, yep. But they're still not just going to like do that. That's because that's that's ridiculous. Then they just die. They still have a sense of survival. Right. And it, I mean, it, I the way that I kind of look at it is if things are not going the animal companions route. It will be become harder and harder and harder for it to follow the commands, no matter how simple that they are that the that the the player is giving. So if the if the player is saying go attack this guy, keep attacking that guy, keep attacking that guy, and that guy is just beating the tar out of out of the animal, <laughs> um, eventually the animal is going to say, "Yeah, screw this, I'm out of here." <laughs> it doesn't yeah, matter. They're not just going to stand there and let themselves, you know, just be beaten into oblivion because. You could really use somebody soaking some damage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now, when using an animal companion for five E, it is important to note that uh, based upon the, the rules in the in the player's handbook, um, they do the ranger does have to use their action to command the animal companion. So they, by commanding the animal companion, they're basically giving up their attack. Which, when they get to a certain level, they'll have two attacks, so they could command and attack. Um, but I, I always felt like that was kind of weird. How have, have you had to deal with that with Ranger, with the Beastmaster Ranger at all, uh, Daniel? I'm just gonna, uh, no, I haven't had to deal with that in 5e, but, um, I have had to deal with that with my dogs. So as much as I would always, always argue talking is a free action, right? So you mm-hmm. really shouldn't have to do that. But like when I'm trying to get my dogs to do something, like even sit, right? I can't just say it and not look at them or pay attention to them. They're never going to do it. I have to make <laughs> eye contact with them, make sure that they're looking at me, make sure that they hear me say it clearly and concisely. And so I do kind of understand where they're coming from with that. Because if you just shout something to your animal companion, as much as a human might understand, oh, they're definitely talking to me, um, the chances that an animal's going to be like, oh, that was absolutely intended for me and not their teammate, who they also told to do the same thing, um, I could see it using an action. Yeah, so one of the ways that I had thought to potentially address this, um, and I, I've I've had rangers in Pathfinder where I didn't see any reference to, to requiring that action. Um, I have not had rangers in, in 5e, but my thought was, was maybe it would take an action to um, give a broad command like, "Hey, g- pr- protect our f- our flank or whatever you would use with a with a dog, for instance, to to have them go and and attack anybody that comes from this side." And then if it was a a broad command like that, they would keep potentially keep doing that because I'm, we're assuming that you've spent some time training them, that they're going to do what you tell them to do if you spend that action to do it. And so as long as there's something going on over there that they can take part in, they'll take part in. But if it stops, they'll just kind of do whatever they're going to do. So there there could be additional actions that could be taken in the future. But generally speaking, that's kind of was kind of my thought is you use an action to issue this broad command that could maybe take multiple turns to, to be done and then once that action is taken care of, you might have to use another action if if uh, 
if they're, if you're still in combat at that point. Oh, yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that. Like, you should be able to issue a broad command, like, attack, you know, because, and then the if it, let's just keep going with the wolf, and then your wolf is just going to, you know, start biting baddies, and mm-hmm. they'll just keep going. But then if all of a sudden there's some prisoners maybe in the back, um, you might need to be paying attention and ready to use that action to say, you know, stand down. Hey, don't attack heal. those people. <laughs> <And> stop chewing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, that that probably makes the most sense, because... If you if you think about like well trained guard dogs, we're talking about real life now. Typically, if you say attack, the dog will attack until you say stop. Um, again, mm-hmm. this is for well trained animals, which which we're assuming if you've got an animal companion in the game that you've spent the time to train them and they are now well trained. So mm-hmm. that's my thought. Yeah, I, d- I definitely agree with that. But those are animal companions, so that's that's saying that you've got a class feature that enables you to be really, really good at this. It's like the Caesar Milan of class features. You know, you're just, I think that's that guy's <laughs> name. You're just, you're just really good with, with the wolf. Um, as opposed to our next section, which is just general pets. One last thing before we go on to pets, though. Um, oh, right, just right. to just to contrast them between the regular fine familiar, if your animal companion is killed, he's not coming back. Um, I guess if you want to use some resurrection magic on your dog, then then, <laughs> then potentially he could come back as long as your DM as as long as you as the DM are, are willing to allow that. Um, otherwise, it means that the that the um, character is going to have to spend time finding a new animal animal companion, and then more time training that an, animal companion. So it's not going to be a, hey, next session I've got a new wolf. This is Wolfie Two. Uh, welcome to the party, Wolfie Two. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's going to be some time in between in between losing that animal animal companion and getting a new one. Yeah, you got to find them because if if you're just in a barren wasteland, you're not just going to be able to go recruit a new doggy. You know, it's there's not many of those in the middle of this grand desert. <laughs> yeah, and it's important to note that that keeping in mind where you're at with what com- animal companions that could possibly be gotten, it's a great point, Danielle. In uh, in the in the campaign that I'm running, I had a ranger that got to the point where they where they had that hunter's bond and they chose to do a, an animal companion. And they, they told me, Hey, um, Hey John, I, I've, I've got this, this hunt, this hunter's bond. So now I get an animal companion. So just let me know when, when, when that all gets into place. I'm like, all right. And he was, I was like, well, what animal companion are, are you thinking about? And he's like, I'm a, a wolf. Okay. Um, well, you're in a city right now, so it's not going to happen right now you're gonna to have to wait a little bit and and so he did and it was another session or two before he was actually able to find a wolf that he could then start working with to be his animal companion it was a process so just because they they their character sheet now says they get an animal companion doesn't mean you as the dm have to let them have it immediately right then and there yeah, you don't need to materialize a fully trained wolf into the center of town just to appease a level. <laughs> Ooh, that's some magic. <laughs> yeah, it's magic at D&D or Pathfinder or whatever else you're playing. <laughs> All right, well, so so I, I took us a little bit off track there, but let's continue on. You were about to start us off on pets. Yes, yeah, so pets. So as much as you can, you're, we're assuming that you're when you take a class feature that gives you an animal companion, you're really good at training animals. That's like 
a thing that you have. Um, but there ha- there's a lot of players who just want a pet. They find a hamster, they name it Boopsie, they stick it in their pocket, and, <laughs> and they've decided that they have this pet now. Um, so to start off with, you as the DM need to choose if you're going to allow players um, to convince or befriend animals or creatures or whatever it is mm-hmm. that they find um, that would qualify as a pet. Right, so that you're not just going to have people roll up on a tarasque and be like, "Oh, I'm going to offer it, <laughs> I'm going to offer it Bootsy and <laughs> see if it wants to be my new pet." <laughs> it's so you you have to take a little bit of agency there. Um, oh, hold with- on, I want to I want to just drill into something that you just said. <laughs> I'm going to offer it Bootsy and see if it wants to be. Is this like a game of bigger better where you've got the pet and you'll trade it for for a bigger yeah, better? Yeah, it's, like, it's like the paperclip. <laughs> okay got got it just wanted to make sure we were clear there what you were suggesting (laughs) well my thought process was it was probably hungry for a treat and (laughs) boopsie is fresh so it's wow Uh, yeah i'm not i'm not emotionally connected to boopsie so it's okay (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so, I mean, since we're 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 there, you're right. Um, as a DM, you have to decide first off: is this going to be allowed? Um, and you can do that on a case by case basis. It could be that in the beginning of the game, you hadn't really thought about it, and they came across Boopsy the hamster, and you're like, "Yeah, sure. What what harm could it have to have a hamster?" Um, Ninety hamsters later, you may be like, "Oh my gosh, what have I done?" Um, but at any point along those 90 hamsters that they have collected, you could have said, yeah, that hamster doesn't want to go with you. He sees all those other hamsters with you and just he, he, he's, he's a little bit afraid that you've got some sort of hamster mill going that uh, you're just going to sell sell its children on the black market or something like that um, and make some really ridiculous excuse. <laughs> mm. Not to mention when you go for, because players always have to convince or to befriend the animal kind of thing. Um, I always like to do an opposing role. Right. And mm-hmm. I just about whatever. Right. It's like, I want to use charisma on the animal. OK, well, the animal's going to verse that with a s- strength check. It doesn't really matter. You just have to roll the dice behind the screen. And it also it gives you such an easy out to be like, nope, you didn't you didn't make it. Right. And then they always just blame the dice. And you don't always have to come <laughs> up with reasons of, oh, the hamster is leery about your choices in wardrobe. You know, it's <laughs> um, yeah. I like uh, I like easy outs. And you could give ridiculous excuses when you tell them no. You could you could say, yeah, he doesn't like the way that you're dressed or whatever yeah. that may be. Um, have fun with it. Um, they're they're doing something ridiculous like wanting to have 19 hamsters as a pet. You, you can be ridiculous right back. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but an important thing to note about pets is they are not going to participate in combat. Uh, this is not a an animal that is trained in combat. This is not an animal that... that uh, typically is even going to be capable of combat in a lot of cases. Uh, even if even if they are somebody that can ha- handle their own, uh, they really haven't been convinced at this point that the players are worth sticking around for when it comes to life and death. So if they're attacked, yeah, they might fight back, but it's just as likely that they're going to just run away and say, mm-hmm. see you guys, I'm going home. Yeah, and they might attack back for only as long as needed for them to run away. Um, same as we were discussing before with the low, you know, as their hit points get lower and lower, they're probably not just going to stick around to die to be a meat shield. They're just going to run away as soon as they can. Yep. 
and and just tying into that, they're they're not trained, they're not trained, they're not trained. Um, now you could you could uh, allow tying back to our downtime episode, you could potentially allow them to do some basic rudimentary training with the with the pet to do tricks or or to like I don't know what what other thing would you tell a pet to do other than just tricks. It, think- you, I've I've seen some videos where there was a guy who trained a border collie to pick up recycling. Hmm. Like it just run through fields after like festivals and and pick up empty cans and bottles and put them in bags. Interesting. I'm sure yeah. you could probably if you had like a a large enough pet, you could maybe teach them how to open a door as long as they had the appropriate mouth or appendages to do so. But as the DM, you can kind of determine, A, if that's something that's even trainable, and B, how long it's going to take. Because as we mentioned in the episode on downtime, the rest of the party may not want to wait around for six weeks for you to to train Boopsy on 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 this new thing that you're wanting Boopsy to do. Um, so they may just be like, yeah, sorry, we're going to just continue on. See you later. Yeah, you you definitely... You have to be careful with stuff like that because what could seem like a very innocuous thing, it's like, oh, I just want to be able to train the dog to open the door. It'll be so cute. They can get me a, a beverage out of the fridge or whatever, however they sell it to you. And then, you know, two months down the road, they're in this really tricky spot and they're like, haha, I taught him how to do this. And now he can just open up the treasure chest, uh, which has a doorknob on it. You know? meet, my new, meet my new pet, <laughs> Trap Finder. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> all oh, he does well. is open doors so I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you, and you think I'm cruel with Boopsy. <laughs> <laughs> So the uh, important thing to, to to note about pets is they're typically going to be more of a game flavor than anything else. Uh, giving your 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 players the chance to have something that's uniquely theirs, um, yeah, sure, that's great. Um, but typically, it, it, it when it comes to, to giving commands to them, anything like that, it's just not going to happen. Now, I've seen where players have done unique and very creative things on using their pet that didn't require any training for their pet. Like they wanted to, um, they wanted to, to get the bartender to talk to them or something. And you didn't want to talk to him. And they, they brought out this, this animal and set it on the table that like distracted all the patrons and the bartender got pissed off that they brought this thing in there. So he wants to come talk to him. So yeah, that's a great way to use, use that pet. Um, <laughs> um, the threat of poop on the table. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but generally speaking, it, it is going to be more for flavor than anything else. At least that's what I've seen in, in the games that I've run. Yeah, and I think the pets should be kept that direction. Uh, otherwise, you can get yourself into one heck of a mess that just it just is so hard to dig yourself out of, especially once you've told them that something can do something and then you got to try to walk it back. Um Head injuries to your pets is a good way to do that. <laughs> it's like it forgot how to do that because you know you fell into a pit of lava. <laughs> um, now, before you, before any of these three introduced into your game, um, and and I know that that two of them are kind of mechanics of the game, so it's not really like a matter of of you introducing them or not. Uh, but before they become a part of your game, I, I think it's important to to talk with your players. And make sure that they understand a number of things. First off, 
what are the ex- expectations from you, the DM, of what the creature can and can't, most importantly, can't do? Uh, so, again, for those people who are just casting Find Familiar and 5e, make sure that they're aware. Listen, I know that you've got this great cat familiar, but the cat familiar doesn't attack. That's just not something that it can do as a familiar. Make, make sure you're aware of it. So you don't get three rounds into combat and have the player be like, all right, I'm going to have Mrs. Pickles uh, swipe at swipe at the, at the, at the ogre and, and gash his leg. No, you can't do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, being upfront with your players and having a conversation about about what these things can and can't do can really save you down the road. Otherwise, you have somebody who's sat there thinking for everybody else's turn and they've come up with this master plan. And as soon as they start it, you're like, nope, that's impossible. And uh, n- nobody really likes that, especially when they think that they've figured out this this super cool thing that's going to happen and you just trample over it and it, it could all be saved just by having a quick conversation just so you know you're familiar it's not going to attack things and if it dies it's going to cost you two hundred dollars to replace it um you know conversations like that nice quick easy get them out of the way as soon as possible yep and along those same sort of lines, you need to, and this is something that you as a DM probably need to decide first and then have a discussion with the players. What are the limitations on training? Um, especially when you get into that anim- animal companion space uh, um, and a little bit to the pet space. But I would say even, especially the animal companion space where you're going to be doing a lot more training. Um, what are you going to allow to uh, for the player to train that animal to do? So that when they get into this situation where they're like, oh, we've practiced this ex- exact scenario. If, you, <laughs> if, 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 my, if my animal companion climbs that chain and jumps across and pulls that <laughs> lever, I've trained him to do exactly this. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention the fact that I just like to point this out is, is some humans can pick up different skills faster, easier than other humans. Um, The same goes for animals, right? There are some creatures that like some dogs even, like they just cannot grasp sit. It doesn't matter how long you've tried and worked with them. It's like they can roll over, they can play dead. But this sit thing, it's just not going to happen. I'll lay down. That's what I'll do. (laughs) And so... And so you you can run into those those issues as well. And so every time that your players have a new animal companion or even a pet, um, they are not the smartest creature on the planet. You're not going to be able to teach this dog how to gather recycling in a field. That is something that ended up you know in the in like a specialty book because this dog was so smart. Just because mm-hmm. one dog did it once doesn't make it proof that they can train every pet that you know, they'll ever have or animal companion to be able to do these kinds of things. Yeah. And if, if, if they found the, if they found the animal companion just by wandering through the woods and being like, Oh, look, there's an animal. I'll make him my companion. Who knows what quality animal you're getting? (laughs) That's true too. It's like the the pack just kicked this guy out because he just, just sucks. (laughs) This is my new best friend. (laughs) And the other thing that's important to kind of communicate with the player is there are going to be situations where the the companion, whatever it is, pet, companion, uh, familiar, will not be able to follow them. 
Uh, whether that's because of where they're situated or because of the terrain or, or whatever. So, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a little bit, but having an understanding with the player of, of what their expectation that this, this uh, creature is going to be doing while they're off doing these other cool, exciting things um, is helpful to know too, because they're typically probably not going to just like sit there at the, at the bottom of the ladder you just climbed waiting for you to come back. I mean, they might for a little bit, but eventually they're <laughs> going to get hungry and be like, screw this. I'm going to go get something to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like quests? If so, I have good news for you. Darkwind, the sponsor of this episode of Becoming DM, is full of quests for your character to pursue. Whether it's finding the components to make a potion, dealing with the town bully, assembling an ancient artifact, or just finding a collar for the local stray, there are a lot of quests to check out. And they're all ranked by levels, so you know what you're getting into before you start off. You can play Darkwind and check out all of the quests for free. Just go to play.darkwind.org to start your character today. Now let's get back to the show. All right, so let's jump in and talk a little bit about some mechanics uh, to to kind of think about when you're when you have um, when you have these these creatures. I'm just going to call them creatures from now on because I don't want to have to keep on saying familiar animal animal companion and pets because I will forget one as I almost did there with animal companion. And so for <laughs> now on, I'm just going to call them creatures. Uh, <laughs> um, so. And now I'm going to say animal companion. Uh, actually, no, I'm not. So if you have one of these creatures that that is combat enabled, um, so so keeping in mind what those are, then you do need to make sure to keep that in mind when you're building combat encounters. Uh, because if you've got a party of, let's say, five, and you're relying upon um, CR, uh, the challenge rating, to determine what your what your encounter might look like, and then you add three three animal companions for some reason maybe you've got a couple of rangers and a druid in the party um only if you're a pathfinder druid sorry <laughs> five e. uh, <laughs> um, then it 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 very it makes a very different uh encounter because you now have three additional participants on the player side potentially um so you do need to keep that in mind and and Challenge rating is always a weird science that you have to adjust based upon how your party approaches things. So you're just taking it one step further, understanding that it's not just the party; it's the party plus whoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can really it can really change a combat between having four combatants. If you double that up to eight combatants, having you know x amount of enemies, it it drastically changes things. And like you said, CR is 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 ever fluid it's always changing and morphing with how everything's going it's it can get a bit uh, fun to try and figure that all out the other thing that can get fun to try to figure out or try to keep track of i guess is initiative when you have all of these extra creatures usually you have your party of four plus all your baddies or whatever they're encountering and now you've tacked onto that all of their their creatures as well yep and oh yeah I was just gonna say, by the the rules, they get their own role for initiative, and I don't know that I agree with that, honestly. 
I have I've because, never found it helpful, right? To no. have them, ha- you know, though it can, it can, it comes into play in its own way because if all of a sudden your um, familiar can go first, and I, I don't really, I've I've never actually played a character with a familiar, um, but say they can do this really cool thing that'll help you by your turn, then I mm-hmm. could see it, you know, being helpful. But at the same time, if you're if you're a ranger and your animal companion rolls a higher initiative. Um, if they're not going to do anything without you giving them a command, then they've yep. just lost a turn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of, the way that I have typically approached it, and it, it's probably not the best way, but let's just pretend that it is, is um, is just to have the, the player and the animal companion turn in the same spot. So uh, I will let the player determine I want my my... I want my creature to go first or I want my creature to go after. And and so that way they can have a little bit of structure to say, all right, um, since this is an animal companion, I'm going to have him go after me so that I can give the command and then he can go and do it. Um, or, or maybe you want, if, you, if you're a warlock and you've got this imp and you want them to go and fly over and do some crap to distract the enemy first, um, you can say, all right, well, I'm going to have the imp go before me and then I'll go after him. I, I, try to be a little bit flexible that way so that we're not having to track initiative, but they can still define, but for the combat, it's whoever goes first, goes first for the combat. Um, and then they, after for the next combat, they could potentially change that. Mm-hmm. And then I that's how I've always done it too. It's uh, they just go together, right? They're always grouped in a little pod. Um, but it also makes it easier for the players to remember the turns of their companions or, or creatures. Sorry, let's just go with creatures. Because um, otherwise, I've had I've had P- myself and my players just completely forget that this thing has a turn, had a turn, should have a turn. It's just, and then you get halfway through combat, it's like, oh, what was Boopsy doing this whole time? It's like, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and and when we get into talking about control, which we're actually doing now, it it does help to understand who's going to control the creature in what situations. So in combat, I typically have the the player do that control unless there's just some weird command that they're issuing, and we need to uh, adjudicate that a little bit. But otherwise, if it's like, go attack... Sure, you 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 control the you control the creature, and they do it, um, and and that way they don't say, "Hey, you forgot Boopsie's turn like three times in a row." I'm like, "No, I didn't. You did." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, removing DM responsibility for stuff like that, you might as well. Like it's they get to make the decisions. You don't have to add a whole new NPC constantly to your realm of things that you need to worry about. You know. Yep. Um, but I'd say, like, outside of combat, um, I usually do DM control, but that's usually because my players, most of the time, if, if they don't need the assistance of their pet, they've, or creature, I should say, they've basically just completely forgot that it exists. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll travel across the entire country and be like, oh, yeah, I've got a tiger somewhere. Um, <laughs> and so I usually put that back into my control, and that way I can, you know, just... It, I just assume where it is and and make generalizations. It's like, oh, now you're in combat. Well, where's my tiger? It should be right next to me. Nope. It found a pretty flower over here. It'll be there in two turns. I've devised a whole story about what your tiger's been doing. (laughs) Would you like to hear it? Here is the novel. (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, the other important reason, I mean, if if they are interacting with the the creature is – 
that they may not have the same understanding that the player is hoping to impart when they say something. And so mm-hmm. um, acting acting that out as the creature can, can be fun and interesting and entertaining to some. Um, and, uh, and, and the other thing is if it's, if it's not trained to do whatever they're asking, the pet may, the pet may like the creature may just go, especially pets go off and mm-hmm. like do whatever, whatever it wants to do rather than do what the command was. And, uh, so being able to distinguish what's possible and what's not is I think an important enough reason why, in, in those non-combat interactions, you as the DM really do need to to take control over uh, over how that's gonna that creature is gonna behave. Absolutely, and when you're in non-combat scenarios as the DM, if you have if you've basically assumed control of the creature, not taking it away from them, but you you know you're saying what they're doing, you can actually use that to your advantage um, as a way to say reveal clues to the players. Uh, they could run off into the bush and come back with a piece of clothing or a severed arm or a pretty flower that they found. Anything that can be a clue for to you know keep the party moving along, you can just have the creatures run around and do that stuff for them. Severed arm is definitely my favorite there. Uh, of the three that you mentioned, let's just be honest. The severed arm is going to be the, the 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 clue that my my players are going to be like, oh, we need to check out what that's about. <laughs> Yeah, it would definitely get somebody's attention. Yep. I hope. <laughs> so another <laughs> way know. that you can can use them um, that can also be sort of like clues is uh, to provide the creature's reaction to um, an NPC that you encounter. So it could be something like they they shiver in fear or growl, um, um, or maybe even they're just very friendly towards towards an NPC. And... Um, and so it, it it can be like a seed that you plant to get the players to expect certain things that then you can later turn the tables on them with too if you're um that kind of dm like like i am um <laughs> uh where where maybe they start to use this as the barometer like oh this is a guy we can trust oh this is a guy this is a guy that that we can't trust and then they meet a new npc and the npc has heard about their um their bad guy sniffing sniffing uh creature and so he comes prepared with a snacky snack in his pocket and and like gets the creature on his side by just giving him a snacky snack um and you can kind of flip the tables on them a little bit so that that could be fun as well uh nothing like lulling your players into a false sense of security Um, otherwise, you can also use uh, use your creatures uh, or their creatures, I suppose, um, as plot points themselves. So uh, a good one is when you have a player who's super attached to their creature, have that creature be kidnapped. You know, if you mm-hmm. want your party to go in a direction, their creature gets kidnapped. Guess what? Your party's going in that direction. Yep. And... And this is one of those where where understanding what your what's important to your players can really help you define direction. Um, now they could say, "Well, I really I really care about Boopsy, but this thing is more important." And if they go that other direction, then go with it. But uh, but it does give you a, a way to help give an a, a strong pull option for them to pursue uh, if you need that. Mm-hmm. Another one that I like is. Uh, 
so say like they go off to find an animal companion, um, what, and they basically convince it to be their friend essentially. And, mm-hmm. uh, what, what if that creature was already somebody else's pet and you've just stolen it from them accidentally by assuming <laughs> it was like this wild animal and you're like, yeah, you're mine now. And that person can come and find that creature and be like, yeah. And you, you know, you can generate stories with it that way. You can also do uh, where it's maybe just a, a kind of inane little pet that has no real purpose in game, except the fact that it's secretly some other creature that is growing inside of this pet and will eventually destroy the party or provide some big challenge to the party. Um, that's that's another fun fun way to, to kind of twist it a little bit to where they grow attached to this pet and then the pet is their enemy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And and then simply finding the animal companion can be a side quest. I, I mentioned um, the, the guy wanting to get a wolf while they were in town. Um, what ended up happening was they they kind of trekked across the country and they're camping outside somewhere on and on his character's watch. Uh, he heard this howling of a wolf, and so he went to check it out and found this wolf that had been kind of caught in a rock slide, and he rescued the wolf and rehabilitated it and trained it and stuff like that. And so it wasn't a really long arc, but it was a, a very mini arc that was part of a single session that just gave him the opportunity to to have his own have his own show for a second there. It also helps your players, like your the player themselves, actually bond with with a part of your world when you can involve them in stuff like that because yep. it makes it a lot more real for them the only and so when you were talking about john finding that or if not you're with lee you said his name was lee's lee was his name yeah yeah but the, with the uh, wolf i'm john i know <laughs> <laughs> well you were part of the wolf thing but uh <laughs> But you guys were in town, right, when he first wanted to go that. And so there's there's always going to be areas that aren't conducive to the type of animal that the player chooses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as far as where you're going with these creatures, not just for obtaining them, but where you're taking these creatures. I mean, it's fine to have a hamster in your pocket. Most people aren't probably going to know that unless they punch you in the very wrong spot of boopsie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, but see, you are going into like a large metropolis and you've got like a dire wolf that that is your buddy. Um, there's a good chance that the people, the good people of the city are not going to be OK with that. Yep. Yeah. So uh, keeping that in mind, there's there's a lot of different areas where this may be a challenge. And and the city is really only one of them. Um, one of the things and, and we've kind of alluded to this before is um, is maybe the the terrain is going to be a challenge for for this uh, this creature to to navigate. So um, we'll go with Lee's wolf, and they came upon this thing where they had to climb down a ladder to get into this cave, and there was no way the wolf was going to climb down that ladder. And if they had if they had taken some time and decided, well, we're going to develop this harness by doing this and this and this, and then <laughs> we're going to lower the wolf down. I would probably have had to have some severe animal handling checks to do that. But if they decided to do that, um, I would I would have allowed them to bring along the wolf. Uh, but it, it, it's it's a matter of of basically giving the players a different kind of challenge than just combat and exploration and role play. It's like almost a, almost like a puzzle, but it's it's a it's a like how do we want to get this this thing down there kind of thing. 
Yeah, and sometimes the animals just so like if 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 your entire party is taking potions of water breathing, right? And <laughs> <laughs> like you can't you can't just make your wolf like force feed a wolf a potion of water breathing and then just be like, "Come on, let's go for a swim" and just assume that they're going to be okay with yep. With swimming underwater, the only way to let them know that they're not going to drown is to hold them underwater, and, <laughs> and that's that's just going to cause trust issues. So, I mean, there's some places that they're just not going to be able to follow them, and your party's going to need to come up with interesting ways. It's like well, we can't get the wolf down there. Maybe you put it in a crate. Um, you you might have to stable it, you know, somewhere. There's Yep. Find a pet sitter, I guess. <laughs> Excuse me, would you mind pet sitting my wolf? Yeah. <laughs> I promise worry, that he won't eat you. He doesn't really bite. <laughs> um, um, but but to that, yeah. like you mentioned going underwater, but there's also the the matter of of um of maybe you're trying to to sneak around and be stealthy and Sure, maybe the animal, the creature understands that, but it could also be that that they're not in the mood to be stealthy. Stealthy. Um, it could be something as simple as they want to play, or it could also be that they they sense some dangerous creature just around the bend, and so they're going to growl because they want to scare off that creature. They're not. They don't care about being stealthy. So. Another thing to keep in mind is, as just because the players want to do something this way, does not mean the the creature is going to do that same way with them. Yeah, for most of the time, the creatures have their own will, right? And they're gonna do what they're gonna do, unless you specific. And that's that's where an animal handling check will come in, because you can you can then use your action to tell them shh. You know, something like that. But right. once the noise has already been made, you know, the noise you can you can have a lot of fun with that one. You know, especially I find cats to be the most fun with that, especially when people are trying <laughs> to sneak. Because everybody assumes that a cat's gonna be sneaky. But what do cats love to do? They love to play with shiny things, they love to knock things, knock off, things tables. off the table. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they touch things, right? Cats are touchers. And they'll just start making noise and you know unless you specifically tell them hey we're being sneaky and they register and understand that eh, probably not going to happen yeah and then the, the 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 last thing on this is that that um that the creature could be scared of things whether it's things like loud noises uh, deep, dark, underground caves, probably not the cat in that situation, but there's probably some animals out there that, that, that are. Um, but the loud noise is a big thing, if, especially if they are not trained uh, for a combat type situation and, and suddenly just this loud bunch of like bang against shields or something like that, they could scare off the creature um, just like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some places that animals just don't want to go. I don't know if you've ever had a pet that uh, is not excited about going to the vet clinic, um, mm-hmm. but when they really don't want to go in somewhere, uh, you're either carrying them in while they fight or just accepting that they're not going in there. <laughs> you know? so right. They, you know, they they don't like some places and noises and maybe bright lights, depending, because there's things that would have... Uh, light sensitive eyes and stuff like that when you get expanded uh, lists especially with Pathfinder you said there was a lot of options mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. so just bearing that in mind uh, just because they're uh, uh, 
they're with the party does not mean they are with the party. Uh, <laughs> um, so as the DM, it's kind of your discretion on how to approach those situations. Now, obviously, you don't want to have it be where every time you turn around that they're, they're, this creature is, is leaving them because it's, it's, it's noping out of everything. But, but keep in mind those situations that are going to be a challenge for them and, uh, and describe it appropriately. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the p- creatures, sorry, just noping out of things is uh, I think one of the biggest struggles with, with um, all of these creatures that I found for myself is just remembering that they exist. <laughs> yes, <It's> so true. <laughs> you know, there's like, I mean, in, in our intro, we had Boopsie has been hiding in a pocket for two years and like trying to keep track of all of this stuff and, and all your players, especially when players aren't talking about them constantly. Um, and yeah, I forget about these things all the time. They, they fall to the wayside because they're not, they're not a, a main PC or a main NPC. They're just some thing, some tool that your, your PC is using and it gets forgotten by me for sure. Yeah, so I, I find that sometimes it helps just to keep just a a running list of who and what are traveling with the party. Because I, I will admit that sometimes I do this with NPCs too, just forgetting that they're there when they're not mm-hmm. a key part of the story. So I, I, I keep a list and I set it next to next to the my iPad when I'm when I'm running a game and it has the names of everything and everybody that's with the party. So whether it's whether it's uh, Boopsy the hamster or 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 Doug the tiefling, hearkening uh, back to a previous episode, there, um, <laughs> um, they'll be on that list. And that way, as I as we're going through things, I can just glance down and be like, oh, well, what's uh, what's Boopsy doing here? Because you're in the middle of this uh, this territory that is known predators to, to, of Boopsy, so. So I can I can guarantee you that Boopsy is uh, filling your pocket with little Boosie pellets, uh, <laughs> um, or whatever it may be. Just uh, I, I feel like keeping a list is probably what I have done. That's the easiest to keep track, and uh, even then, I still occasionally forget because if if I don't look at it, I don't remember. Yeah, definitely one of those. What I would consider like a primary DM skill is organization. You know, having having a list. Especially if it's something that you forget about a lot, like me, um, having a list of who's traveling with everybody, that's that's a great idea. Yep. So I think that's uh, what we wanted to cover today. Um, just bear in mind that if you are going to have these uh, familiars, animal companions, and pets in your environment... As the DM, you do have you even though some of these are mechanics of the game, you do still have the have the ability to to say no or not right now. Um, you don't have to again have ninety hamsters belonging to the party just because every time they see something, they want to pick it up and take it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, best of luck as you as you manage these in your game. And until next time, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are becomingdm. And our website is becomingdm.com. 
Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.